sticks. Uh, she just pointed there and said, I think you probably meant verse 30, right? And I said, yeah, I did, yes. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. If you're able, I know we just, we just stood and, and sat, but could we stand again one more time uh, for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 6. Um, we're going to be looking at verse number 30 and uh, all the way down through verse 44. I'm not going to read that whole passage right now, um, but uh, we're going to read down through uh, verse number 34. Verse number 30 of Mark chapter 6, the Bible says this, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And let's pray together one more time. Father, We, as now we come to a very important part of the service, the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, you would use this time to draw us and draw hearts close to you. Help us, Lord, to have open ears, open hearts, and a willingness uh, to not just be good hearers, but be good doers of what we hear. I pray, Lord, you'd remove distractions from our minds and help us, Lord, to focus in on your word and your will for our lives. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last Sunday, as we gathered together and we continued our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we came to uh, a very interesting passage of Scripture, the passage that records the uh, tragic death of John the Baptist. And certainly that was not uh, my favorite message to preach. It was obviously a little uncomfortable to be preaching about uh, someone being beheaded. Well, the teen boys probably enjoyed it. They were like, yeah, more of that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, no, it, it was not cool. Um, but uh, we learned in that, we saw the godly character of John the Baptist and, and the fact that he wasn't afraid to do what was right, even though there was, uh, it was a very risky situation. He still did what was right. And the encouragement, of course, for all of us is to do right no matter uh, what the ramifications of doing right are. And then we saw how uh, Herod made the gruesome choice as he was faced with the decision on what to do, please his friends that were there, uh, the popular crowd of Galilee, or do what was right. And sadly, he chose to please his friends and uh, ended up beheading an innocent man. And then we saw that guilty conscience, which is where it kind of falls into context here in the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. As his name gets spread around, uh, Herod gets wind of J Jesus and what he was doing, and immediately Herod had that guilt complex, and it caused him to think that it was John the Baptist who raised from the dead. And uh, we saw how he was faced with an opportunity later on to make things right, but he chose not to. Instead, 
he chose to mock the Son of God just hours before Jesus was crucified. And uh, we talked about the guilt that many times we can carry around that the Lord never intends for us to carry. Uh, he wants to take our guilt. And uh, in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter number 8 and verse number 1, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Now, he doesn't want us to walk around with a bunch of guilt, but we've got to come clean. We've got to, uh, we talked about last Sunday, turn ourselves in and uh, put it all on the table for the Lord to deal with. Uh, Herod failed to do that, and uh, I want to encourage you, uh, if you still haven't taken care of that, to do that today. Um, but uh, today we come to an event uh, that has to do with a little more of a pleasant subject, and that is food. All right? And uh, a little more pleasant of a topic than what we talked about last Sunday. We're going to be talking about food today. Now, I know this is a dangerous message to preach right before lunch, so uh, I get that. And uh, I'll keep that in mind, kind of. Uh, but let's just say that I expect everyone to be good and hungry and ready to eat after, uh, after today's service, okay? Uh, now, the title of the message is uh, The Miracle Meal. As I was thinking about meals in my life, I've had some memorable meals in my life. I can point to some really great dinners that I've had at home growing up as a kid. I remember my mom used to make this really good Cheez-It chicken. Uh, she would take Cheez-Its and cover the chicken and bake it. And, man, it had that Cheez-It flavor plus the chicken. And, man, it was good. And my wife tried to make it uh, in our after we got married. And I was kind of like, honey, I love you, but it's not like mom used to make. <laughs> that, that wasn't my finest moment. I'll tell you that right now. So those who are looking to get married, okay, uh, that's probably not a good thing to be saying to your wife, um, but, but honestly, it was the truth. It wasn't near as good as what my mom did. Uh, but to get myself out of this hole that I started to dig here, my wife makes these homemade rolls that, uh, that beat Lambert's. It's better than Texas Roadhouse. It's better than Red Lobster, those cheddar biscuits combined. I mean, you put the you, you make all those into one, and Julie's homemade rolls outshines them all. Does that help a little? Not really. All right. Um, I've also some memorable meals. I've eaten some at some really nice restaurants. Uh, you know the ones where the portions are small, but the bill at the end is not. You know those ones. <laughs> uh, my wife and I recently ate at one in Oklahoma City not long ago, and and uh, the portions were were. Yeah, they were small, and uh, but uh, the the check was very large, and uh, but we knew that going in, and we wanted to do something special. Um, those are the those are the meals that you remember, memorable meals. I imagine that you too, in your own mind, can think back to some meals that 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 you would consider very memorable. Um, well, the meal that we're going to look at today was indeed memorable for the disciples, and. In fact, this was a meal that they would actually never forget. Um, but as we will see today, this meal wasn't just memorable, it was also very miraculous. And there's no doubt this is why, uh, this is why that meal was so memorable, because of the miracle that the Lord did to provide this meal. Now, out of all the different miracles that Jesus performed, 
Only one was recorded in all four gospel accounts. Now, all of them record the resurrection of Christ, which is a miracle that he performed. But, but, but in the ones where he healed different people and, and, and did certain things, there's only one that is recorded in both in, in, all, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that is right here, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle meal. But not only was this meal memorable and miraculous, but it was also very meaningful. There are lessons that have been preached and taught from this particular uh, miracle for centuries. And what lessons can we learn from this miracle meal? Well, let's go ahead and jump in and get started this, uh, this morning on the miracle meal. First of all, I want us to notice this morning the problem of the multitude. The problem of the multitude. So let's get some context here. I actually, in our Bible reading, never really did get to the point where uh, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. But I'm telling you, it is right on the edge of that. Uh, verse 34, we read. Verse 35 uh, is where it really kind of starts to pick up. Now, before we get there, again, let me give you some context. Uh, back here in chapter 6, uh, remember, Jesus realizes that it's time... Earlier in chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, he realizes it's time to send forth his disciples to go two by two, preaching and uh, going with the power of God over unclean spirits. And uh, they don't have a lot of resources. Remember that? Well, in verse number 30, they get back from their trip. So uh, verses uh, 14 through verse number 29, we talked to Mark kind of says, let's look at Herod for a moment and how he's reacting to all that's going on. And then verse 30, he goes back to the disciples who come back from their uh, little uh, preaching ministry, their little uh, season of, of ministry. In verse number 30, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So uh, Mark doesn't give a ton of detail here of, of what these disciples actually got to participate in, but, but I can just, in my mind's eye, picture it uh, probably, you know, morning-ish, uh, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. These disciples finally make their way, find Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we've got to tell you all that we got to do and all the things we were teaching, and oh yeah, in this one town, this happened, and, and then, yeah, in this town, they didn't like us, and they kicked us out, and, and in this village, they, they were so glad to have us and to hear all these things. And they were just so probably excited to share uh, the results of their missionary adventures. And uh, he also, though, realizes that uh, these guys are probably pretty spent from ministering and giving of themselves and, and the, the drain that the ministry sometimes is. And so there are two groups in this multitude that Jesus senses has some serious needs. And first of all, uh, we see that his apostles needed to rest. His apostles needed to rest. And so in verse number 31, Jesus, as he's hearing all that's going on, realizes and, um, and, and knows that these, these apostles need some time to get away and to recover and recoup from their ministry journey. So verse 31, he says this to them, Hey, why don't you come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while? 
And then the Mark, Mark says this, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Sometimes the ministry can be that busy where it's just the needs continue to pile up, and there seems to be no break. And that was what the apostles were dealing with there. And so his apostles needed to take some time to get away and rest. Can I just say this? And, you know, it's probably hard to really communicate this, but the ministry is actually pretty tiring. It's a different type of job than physical labor, than just brain labor. Um, it's, it's a different animal, and I've done, I've done both. Um, I mentioned that uh, when I was in Montana, I worked full-time at AT&T as a retail sales consultant. So people would come in with their phones and say, hey, uh, my voicemail's not working. Can you get that set up for me? And I would go and help them with that. And, and, uh, and we would have to try also to get them, well, you know, your voicemail's not working, but this phone is a little old. Would you be interested in upgrading your phone? How about adding a line to your plan? How about adding a TV package to your plan? And on and on it went. So I was a helper, but also a salesman. And so I, I had to deal with that. But uh, I am telling you, there is something very draining about the ministry. It, it, it's not a complaint at all. It's just a fact. Um, and uh, those who uh, maybe grew up, there's several pastors' daughters in, uh, in, in, in the room today. Um, there's uh, pastors' kids in, in the room today. Um, pastors' wives in the room today. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. But I will tell you this, that on Sunday nights, after preparing all day on Thursday, Friday, and most of the day on Saturday, teaching Sunday school, preaching in the morning and evening services, I go home on Sunday night a little drained. I mean, it's a little like, blah, 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 you know. And uh, so if my parents or if my children are asking a bunch of like decision type questions, hey, what are we, can you make a decision on what we, my brain is just not there. I mean, I'm just. I need, I need to rest. Uh, preaching and teaching takes quite a bit of a toll physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I didn't really realize it as much. Even when I was an assistant pastor uh, in the ministry in, in California, I mean, yeah, I was tired. But, uh, but boy, when, you, when you're doing this type of work, it, it does take a toll. And these apostles, and, and, and this point isn't just about me here. It's, it's just about God's servants in general. Uh, these apostles had been spent. They were drained. I mean, yeah, they were excited about all that happened, but, but the Lord knew that they needed some time to rest. There's been more than one servant of the Lord who has burnt out because of lack of rest. They think they can just keep going and going and going, and ah, I don't need to rest. That's, that's a waste of time. I mean, there's people to reach and people to minister to, and I don't have time to stop. To a point, that's accurate, but, but God's servants need to realize that they're human beings as well, and there are limitations, and we need to take some time to rest. I'm thankful that our church allows us to have a vacation once, in a, once a year and, and to get away as a family, and, and for me, every week, I try to take a day to rest and recoup, and one of my favorite activities on my day off is to take a nap. 
I think that's very, for me, that is very, very restful. It brings me back and it sharpens the axe a little bit. Think about uh, a servant called named Elijah, and I don't want to steal too much thunder for my series on Wednesday nights, but Elijah had just called down fire from heaven and, man, won a great victory. I mean, tremendous mountaintop experience. And then the very next chapter, he hears that Jezebel's pretty upset with him and wants to kill him, and so he runs for his life. I mean, he just, 850 false prophets just to, kind of took care of business. The Lord did through him, but, but now he's exhausted from that, from that time of ministry. And, and now as Jezebel has it out for him and he runs away and he's exhausted and he's actually to the point of suicidal. How could Elijah, who just called down fire from heaven, just a few verses later, be suicidal and say, why don't I just die? It would be better for me just to be dead. Well, you know what the Lord did? The Lord said, hey, you need to go have a, have a Big Mac and you need to go take yourself a nap. And that really helped Elijah through that time. See, God's servants need that time of rest. And, uh, and, and there are times of ministry where you're not going to get it. You may need it. You're not going to get it. That's exactly what happened to the apostles here. They thought, hey, we're going to go on a boat and, uh, you know, the Lord's going to take us and we're going to go to the desert. and We're going to chill out for a little bit. We're going to relax. We're going to go to Palm Springs and, you know, enjoy some time of rest and some little R&R. Well, sadly, here's what happened in verse number 33. The people saw them departing and many knew him and ran a foot thither out of all the cities and out went them and came together unto him, and so their, their, uh, their little vacay was cut short. Actually, never did happen. Now, I'm not a big music guy, but I, I do understand that there is a purpose of resting when it comes to music. Someone said there is no music in a rest, but there is the making of music in it. In our whole life, melody is the music the, I'm sorry, in our whole life, melody, the music is broken off here and there by rests. And we foolishly think we have come to the end of the tune. Not without design does God write the music of our lives. Be it ours to, to learn the tune and not be dismayed at the rests. They are not to be slurred over, not to be omitted, not to destroy the melody, not to change the keynote. And if we sadly say to ourselves, there is no music in a rest, let us not forget that there is the making of music in it, somebody said. And the point of that is, look, we all need to take time to rest. We all need to take time to stop and know that he is God. Uh, a lot of times we like to just keep going because that's just the way God made me. Uh, no, sometimes we need to uh, slow down and rest, and that's why... The Lord instituted the Sabbath day. It's not need. We don't need to be legalistic about it. Um, it remember, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, as Jesus said. Um, but we do need to have those times of rest, and uh, especially those who are servants of the Lord uh, need to remember that as well. And so, as I 
say that, I, as I said in Sunday school, I have one finger out to you and three back at me. Uh, we need to make sure that we're uh, sharpening the axe. So the apostles, they had a need and they needed a rest. But then notice here, the audience needed to eat. And going back in verse number 34, as they're making their way on the ship across to the desert place, word spreads, people start to say, well, we can, we can run faster than they can get there. And so they run uh, to the end where, to the other side where they were going to land. And, and so they did in verse number 34, and Jesus, when he came out, they saw much people. And he was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. And notice here, he began to teach them many things. Now, notice first, before we get to the miracle of the meal, he first gives them spiritual food. Um, this is not to say that he doesn't care about our physical needs, too. But the emphasis and the priority of our lives needs to be on the spiritual. And that's what Jesus here met their spiritual need first by teaching them uh, spiritual truths. Not just, hey, here's a bunch of food, go and enjoy that. He first met their spiritual need and then the next priority was on the physical. Um, so the emphasis and the priority of our lives need to be on the spiritual, but we should not totally neglect or forget about the other needs as well. In fact, James hits on this. In James uh, chapter number 2, he says this, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? He says, look, if you have the means in which to bless somebody and you've got two coats and somebody uh, needs one, give them that one. Give them one of yours. Don't, don't just say, well, I'm just here to minister to your spiritual needs. And as a church family, and uh, we have several people who come through our church and asking for uh, money and, and help with different things and and uh, we try to be very discerning about it because I realize this isn't this is the Lord's money that that comes in. It belongs to Him, and uh, and it came from uh, you and, and and me. We 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 work hard and we we give graciously and generously. We need to be careful on how we use that. But uh, I want to make sure that we're emphasizing the spiritual first and foremost. But then also, hey, if we can minister in a practical way, we want to help if we can in that situation. So Jesus first ministers in verse 34 to their spiritual needs and teaches them many things, but then there is a physical need as the story continues. Verse 35, when the day was far spent, so he spends maybe two, three hours teaching these, the Bible says he began to teach them many things. It's hard to teach many things in a very sh short time. At least if I was preaching, that's for sure. Um, so it would take some time to cover a lot of these things. And, and uh, verse 35, when the day was now far spent, the sun was starting to set. His disciples came unto him and said, hey, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away 
that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So the disciples recognize that there's a need here for these, uh, this audience to eat. And he said, hey, we're in a desert place. There's nothing really around here for anybody to buy. Probably should send them home so they can get back to their places of residence and they can, they can get something to eat because there's just nothing out here. It's a desert place. And then uh, notice here in verse number uh, 37. He answered them and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. So Jesus knows they have need for physical food, and so he, he tells them to give them something to eat. And, and, and so we, we see here the problem of the multitude, uh, that the, uh, the apostles needed rest, the audience needed to eat. But then let's notice number two here, the power of the master. So he tells them to give them to eat, verse 37, and, and then they begin to kind of, I, I, I sort of read a little sarcasticness in the response to Jesus saying, give ye them to meet. I mean, there was, and we, we know, spoiler alert, 5,000 men there. Of course, most of us already know that, uh, plus women and children. And they're, they're looking and, and saying, we have nothing to give them. And in verse 37, after Jesus says, give ye them to eat, here's what they say. They say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? 200 penny worth of bread. 200 penny worth is equivalent to about um, seven months of salary for those disciples. And they thought, well, probably it would take about that much to feed them. Now, I, I began to kind of look at it up, look at, look at, look it up, what the average income for uh, a resident here in Moore, Oklahoma, and what they make every year, and what seven months of that salary would be, would be equivalent to about $38,000. So they said, shall we go and buy $38,000 worth of bread and give them to eat? And it was kind of, I think, a snarky remark that these disciples had to Jesus because what Jesus was asking them to do was impossible. Give you them to eat? Are you serious? We have nothing. And we really don't have that much money. Are you really wanting us to spend $38,000 and go buy food enough for everybody to eat? Is that what you really want, Lord? I could just... And, and I'm, I'm maybe reading into the, the tone of it a little bit, but, uh, but, but I... And putting myself there as a, as a disciple, and, uh, and, and I think that maybe it was close to that. And so verse 38, Jesus says, well, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, and uh, we know from uh, the book of John that uh, Andrew finds this little boy here who has a, who has a lunch of five loaves, but they weren't just five loaves, they were five barley loaves. That's significant. Barley loaves were not the bigger loaves. They were smaller loaves for the poor. That's what they got to eat. So it was five loaves and two fish, two small fish. And so uh, Andrew comes and says, well, they, they say five and two fishes. We have five loaves, five barley loaves, small loaves, and two small fishes. And then verse 39, notice this, he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. 
One commentator pointed out regarding the fact that he had everybody sit down was that everybody was equal in that moment. The rich, the famous, the religious, the poor, they all had to sit down. And as the Lord feeds us, really, there is no difference. We all have need, just like all of the people there, those 5,000 men plus the others. All had the same need, and it didn't matter how rich, how famous, how religious, how, uh, how popular, it didn't matter. They all had to sit down. That was a good thought. And so, verse 39, he commanded them to sit down uh, by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Uh, God is very organized, isn't he? Uh, even if you look at the, Bible, the, the body and how he made the body, very organized. It works, it works together, and, and so here there's organization going on. In verse 41, this is, this is pretty special here. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, blessed, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all. And here's, here's the power of the master here. Verse 42, and they did all eat. And they didn't just eat, they were filled. Like they were like, oh no, I couldn't eat another bite. And uh, man, I've been, I've been there. How, how many of you have been there? You know, when you, you eat a meal like Thanksgiving uh, is coming up here soon. And you're like, man, I cannot put anything else in my mouth. Like, please stop. And they're like, well, we've got more. No. So 5,000 men plus women and children plus the disciples plus Jesus. And the Bible says they did all eat and were filled. Who could do this? Well, only the Lord can do that. He is able to multiply to the point of leftovers. Notice verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. I mean, just, it must have been pretty amazing as, as, as each of the disciples had the baskets that they were supposed to go around to these different groups of 50 and 100. Um, they're going to Jesus, you know, and, and, and he begins to kind of keep putting bread in their baskets. It's like, where's all this bread coming from? Pretty amazing. Where's all this fish coming from? I mean, didn't we just have... Five little barley loaves and two small fish? Yes, but the Lord is more powerful than you and I can understand. He has great power. They did all eat. And, and these, these disciples, as they are going, wow. And it was the same disciples who said, well, we only have this much. I mean, are you serious? You're really going to want to feed all these people with just this small little lunch? And those disciples got to experience taking those baskets and then having those baskets full as they came back after everybody had eaten to the point where they were stuffed. Like, I'm going to roll out of here. Thanks a lot, you know. I've said that many times. Like, yeah, are you full? Yeah, I'm about to, you know, pop here. Working on my pastor belly, you know. Uh, expanding, expansion building project. It's... I'm growing in the Lord, you know, and <laughs> in all the wrong areas. 
Uh, the power of the master is on full display there. In verse 44, and they that did, did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. <sighs> Amazing. And then I, I believe it's Matthew who says, plus women and children. Um, one commentator said it's doubtful that there were a ton of women and children there. Uh, mostly it was the men there trying to follow in the desert. Um, probably most of them didn't bring their entire families with them. However, still, 5,000 men plus Maybe we can just give it another 4,000, let's say. And that's that's 9,000 people. We had uh, our youth rally just a couple weeks ago, about 300 people here, and we fed them pizza. And uh, that was a lot of people. That was only 300. And uh, here the Lord is able to take just a small little lunch and be able to feed all of those people. Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning, there, this, miracle was, this miracle meal was memorable. It was miraculous, but it was also meaningful. And that leads me to number three today, and that is the point of the miracle. Now, why did this happen? Why did the Lord do this? And this is really the message. That was all introduction in the first part. <laughs> this is really the sermon right here, the point of the miracle. Why did this happen? Now, I'll be honest, there's no way to know completely the mind of the Lord here and know all of the reasons why the Lord did this. But, but I believe there's, uh, I believe, five here uh, reasons why the Lord did this particular miracle and some lessons that we can take with us in our lives here. So first of all, I believe one of the points of this miracle was to show the compassion of Christ that uh, he cares about every aspect of our lives. As I mentioned in verse number, well, as it's mentioned in verse number 34, when Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Aren't you glad that the Lord looks at us, not with anger in his eyes, but with a compassionate look on his face? And he cares about us spiritually, first and foremost, just like he cared for those people spiritually and taught them many things. But then also he cared about their physical needs too, their practical needs. A lot of times we wonder, does the Lord care? Does the Lord really care about my finances? Does the Lord really care about my health? Does the Lord really care about uh, the relationships in my life? And we ask the question, does Jesus care? Somebody wrote a song about that. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? to resist some temptation strong. For when my deep grief, there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? My sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? The songwriter answered the question in the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. 
He cares for you, my friend. He's compassionate towards you. And this miracle shows us that, yes, he cares about our spiritual condition and our spiritual well-being, but he also cares about the other aspects of our life. I'm thankful for that. He showed it when he fed the multitudes there in the desert. So he showed the, this, this, this miracle shows the compassion of Christ. But I believe it also, one of the other points of this miracle was it increased the faith of the disciples. It was meant to increase the faith of those who were there who doubted him and said, you really want us to give them to eat? Are you serious? We have nothing but this little lunch. I remember those little lunch pails that you used to have when you went to school. I remember those, those little thermos. Yes. It was always like a good day when your mom put like a piece of candy in there. Yes. Remember you trading at lunchtime? I've got a PB&J. What do you got? Um, and they had this little lunch and they thought, what is this? I... I do find it very interesting to note that the disciples were actually active participants in this particular miracle. And in fact, I think that what, that is one of the things that sets this miracle apart. Most things Jesus did with the spoken word or he did it himself. But in this miracle, he included the disciples in order to teach them to trust the Lord. Because at this point, they were doubting whether God could do this or do that. And so he gives, gives them the instruction to give them to meet and uh, give them to eat. And, and he gives them the, the baskets to go and feed everybody. And he includes them in this miracle. <coughs> I imagine Philip who said, shall we? He, Philip, by the way, was the one who said, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of food and, and bread and, and bring that in? Or Andrew who said, what are they among so many? Uh, I imagine those guys probably went, oh boy, I was shown, I was taught a lesson today. Now, here's what they were taught. Look, if God can handle this particular problem miraculously, there really isn't anything he can't do. We need to be reminded this morning and from time to time that our God is able and that nothing is impossible with God. I like, I like Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17 where Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Well, yeah, but I mean, you don't know my particular situation in my life. That's too big for God. Um, that's what the disciples thought. 5,000 people, all we have is this little dinky lunch. Are you puny, pathetic lunch? Are you serious? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You see, we serve the one who parted the sea. We serve the one who provided men in the wilderness. We serve the one who healed the sick, raised the dead, and multiplied a little boy's lunch. He can handle your trial or tribulation. By the way, he also handled the greatest need of all of our lives when he died on the cross and rose again the third day. So can he handle your financial hardship? Can he handle your marriage strain? Can he handle a wayward child? Can he handle 
and you fill in the blank. Can he handle it? Yes or no? Thank you. He can. So let's trust him. The disciples needed to learn that, but the Lord probably knew in 2021 there'd be a group of disciples sitting in this room here today who needed to hear that as well. And so to increase the faith of the disciples, the disciples asked the Lord one time, Lord, increase our faith. I hope that that's our heart today, and, and hopefully the record of this miracle meal will increase our faith this morning. So to show the compassion of Christ, to increase the faith of the disciples, and then to prove the deity of Christ. People were wondering about this Man who had garnered so much attention and, and fame, Jesus, as he walks along and does all these things. Who is this man? Well, as he do, does these miracles, he shows and proves that he is the promised Messiah and he is indeed God in human flesh. Psalm 132 in verse number 15, here's a prophecy regarding the Messiah. Psalm 132.15 says, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. And so here comes Jesus. The disciples and uh, the people there in the audience were familiar with these passages. We're not as familiar with them, but they studied them. They knew these things that, <coughs> excuse me, that the Messiah would do. And that he would satisfy her poor with bread. And so as Jesus breaks this bread and multiplies it, and they all get to eat so much that they're like, I can't eat another bite. Please stop. And then the waiter comes and says, would you like dessert? Oh, please no. <laughs> they're reminded of these thoughts and went, I wonder if this is the Messiah. Could this be him? And the answer is yes. Isaiah 40 and verse number 11 is another reference. Isaiah 40, 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. He did indeed feed his flock like a shepherd, not just like a shepherd, but like a good and the great shepherd. Amen. So to prove the deity of Christ and then Fourthly here, to show that little is much when God is in it. Now, this little boy who perhaps this was his own lunch, and I believe that that probably was the case. It was about barely enough to feed himself. His mom probably sent him with a Spider-Man lunch pail. I mean, I would hope it was. And... Uh, as he uh, gives that up, he gets to watch, this little boy gets to watch the Lord take that little food that he had, break it and multiply and feed everybody there that day. I'm sure that that was like a day that he will, I'd like to meet him in heaven, won't you? Like, hey, you're the boy that gave your lunch? Thanks for doing that. And uh, I'm sure he is glad that he gave his little lunch to the Lord and saw what God did as a result. A little is much when God is in it. Just ask Gideon, the one who 
His army was dwindled down to 301 people, including himself, facing the Midianite army, 135,000 men. All that to show that little is much when God is in it. The widow at Zarephath on Wednesday night, we uh, talked about her and how she had just a, a little bit of a meal in her barrel and a little bit of oil left in that cruise. And, and it was just enough to make one last meal for her and her son, and then they were going to die. The man of God comes and says, hey, give what you little you have, and we'll multiply it, and God will bless you for it. And most of us understand the rest of the story, how that 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 barrel of meal and that cruise of oil never did fail. God began to supply for them and supply for them because they were willing to give what little they had to the Lord. The widow woman who gave just two mites, you remember that? Everybody's kind of watching and this little old meek lady, humble lady, puts in two little coins into the offering. Everybody's sitting around going, Two mites? Are you serious? That's like an insult. And the Lord says, no, it's not. She gave everything. A little as much when God is in it. As we consider the command that Jesus gave in verse 35, verse 37, I'm sorry, he says to the disciples, give ye them to eat. I remember, I'm reminded that Jesus has called us as his disciples to now give the gospel to the lost and dying world in which we live. We're called to reach the world. We're called to preach the gospel and teach all nations. That's an overwhelming task, just like feeding 5,000 men plus others was overwhelming for those disciples. Say, I'm not much. I get it. Every Sunday I get up here and I realize that I don't have much. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I go, my sermon, Lord, this isn't much. I mean, it's your word, so I don't want to discount that, but the portion that's me isn't much. I know I don't have much talent and ability and charisma or anything like that. I'm not, you know, Joel Osteen. You know, I, I'm not going to draw a crowd because of my personality. I get that. But here's the deal. The Lord, I've seen it over and over again, has taken what little I have and accomplished much. And you know why? He does that so that I don't go around going, I'm pretty good. So that he gets the glory. He gets the praise. Little is much. We think about the overwhelming need to reach this world. Do we say, I'm not much? How, what can I do? Well, if you're willing to just do something, God is able to take our little bit and make much come from it. He, I don't know how he does it. That's God's business. He's just a miracle-working God. That's who he is. That's who we serve, and I'm glad we do. But he does that. Little is much when God is in it. Fifthly, he also, another thought here is, why did he do this? I think he was pointing to the future. To point to the future. Look, keep your finger here in Mark chapter number 6. Turn to Mark 14. So just a few pages over. Okay. 
Once you find chapter 14, find verse 22. And then let's read back, go back to Mark 6, verse 41. Mark 6, 41 says, And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes... There, there's a couple words I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize here as I read verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. The two fishes divided he among them all. Okay, Mark 14, verse 22. Upper room, the night before Jesus was crucified. With his disciples. Verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed, break it, and gave to them and said, Take ye, this is my body. Do you not think that those disciples, as Jesus is meeting with them in the upper room, in that, that very somber, sacred moment, and as Jesus does the exact same thing, do you think their minds don't go back to what took place in Mark chapter 6? Their, their, their minds do a flashback. And wait, 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 wait. We've, we've seen him take bread before. We've seen him bless the bread. We've seen him break the bread. We've seen him give us the bread. And what did he do in Mark chapter 6? Well, he gave to them so that they could give that bread to uh, others. And now... Jesus is saying, look at this bread that I'm breaking, that's me. That's my body. I'm about to be broken for you. I'm about to spill my blood for you. In John chapter 6, a little, it was the day after Jesus fed the 5,000. The very next day, John chapter 6 records when Jesus says to the people there, hey, by the way, just to let you know, I am the bread of life. That bread that was broken and given and was able to satisfy everybody to the, to the fullest, that's me. I'm able to be broken, and I'm going to be broken for you someday. And he did indeed allow his body to be torn apart on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. So it was pointing to the future when one day he would uh, meet with his disciples in the upper room and take that bread, bless that bread, break it, and then give to the disciples. I imagine they all thought, we've been here before. We've seen him do this before. Here's another bonus. It's not in your outline. But uh, as we're getting closer to lunch, here's a bonus point of the uh, miracle to show us that it's okay to eat meat <laughs> he ate fish and it's okay to eat fish uh, but here's the conclusion in wrapping it up he is able to supply salvation for all there was nobody who was turned away who came to that day nobody who said no, nobody that the disciples said oh there's not enough for you now, see, there's, there's enough for everybody when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song that someone else wrote. It's in our hymnal, 535 in our hymnal, if you'd like to look there. It's called, There is Room at the Cross for You.
The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide, and its grace so free is sufficient for me, and it's deep and deep as its fountain, as wide as the sea. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned, turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. The hand of my Savior is strong and the love of my Savior is long through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain. The blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. And the chorus says there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Everybody went away going, I am one full guy. There was no one turned away. If you're willing to come, there's room for you. If you haven't come to the cross today, can I say this? There's room at the cross for you. Oh, I've come. Most of us in this room have come. But there's still room for you. Will you come? He's also able to supply all of our needs. He never runs out. In fact, there's more than is necessary. He is a living bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. What a meal. It was memorable, it was miraculous, and it was meaningful. Well, what aspect of this meal did the Lord speak to you about? What aspect do you need to apply to your life? Well, let's uh, make a good decision regarding that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, the record of this miracle meal. And Lord, so many things could be brought out, and I really only scratched the surface. Well, Lord, some important lessons still for us to apply to our lives. Help us, Lord, to apply them. Help us, Lord, to trust you, knowing that nothing is too difficult for you, that you are able to handle all of these things, and that you care about all the aspects of our life. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you indeed came as the Messiah to feed uh, your sheep with bread. But not just physical bread, but also, Lord, you allowed your body to be broken. And you, the bread of life, are sufficient, Lord, to forgive me of all my sin. We're thankful for that. Lord, if there's one here today that's never come to Christ, Lord, help them to realize there's room at the cross for them. Help them to come today and be born again. Help us, Lord, to trust you with all the aspects of our life to not panic or fret, but to know that you are able to do great and mighty things. Help us, Lord, to remember that little is much when you are in it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask uh, Miss Pat to begin playing right now. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and uh, a decision there in your seat as she plays.